Hey everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of History by Hopkins. I said this last episode, or at least the last solo one I did, that uh, it's, it's fucking been a while, man. And I think... The last solo episode I did was on the IRA, which is a piece of history that's very layered and spans many, many decades. And oh, hey, buddy. Yeah, Raleigh, of course, fucking shows up and wants to be a horse's ass as soon as I start fucking recording. Here, I'll open the fucking window for you. How about that? Do you like looking at that thing, huh? Yeah, you're a good guy. Anyways, um, the IRA episode was a subject that was near and dear to my heart, but um, like I said before, I was going through some shit, and uh, I clearly was not ready to record again. And, I mean, you can kind of tell just by listening to it, I'm kind of all over the place. Uh, my head and my heart wasn't really in it at the time. And I think it was just one of those examples of where you're trying to get over something and you put yourself out there in order to make yourself rise to the occasion to sort of help you get over things, if that makes sense. But yeah. That uh, that that's that's pretty much where I was, and I think after listening to that episode, uh, and pondering on it, I think I kind of figured that out and and knew that I needed some time, more time to myself, and uh, I've taken it, and uh, I'm still. It's been a hard fucking uh year, but it's also, it's weird because 2020 was. For as bad as it was, uh, it was actually really good for me. Um, my career has really uh, taken off. I mean, improved, if that's the right term. I don't want to say taken off, but... Uh, and financially, I'm more secure now. And... 2021 the end of 2020 and a lot of 2021 has just been it hasn't been like devastating but it's been emotionally trying um i i i've always prided myself on taking the hits and rolling with it and just trying to make it work you know and it just hasn't been that way with this stuff. So I hope you guys uh, can forgive me for taking a hiatus for a while. And it's not going... It, this won't be the last time, I can guarantee you that. Um, I, I think I know now that if I need the time, I'm going to take it. I'm not going to release episodes anymore that are half-assed. I know that now. 
But you guys are actually kind of in luck because during the hiatus, I've been writing out episodes, topics. I've wrote, I've wrote, I've written out a few of them that are super interesting to me. But I put out a Facebook post today asking if you guys wanted to hear from me again. And I had no idea that I had such a fan base and like so much support and that people give a shit about this. So um, it says my audience is comprised of about 20 people, 20 dedicated people, I guess. So um, I want to dedicate this episode to you guys. You guys keep me going. You guys inspire me to do this a little bit, or at least have put a fire under my ass to fucking do it now. So, um, in that Facebook post, I actually made a suggestion, you know, if you guys want to give me episode ideas that you really want to hear, you know, let me know. And, uh, one of my colleagues posted, and I say colleague because it's someone I've worked with. She's a, she's a dear friend and, um, someone I've, I've taken some really good social work cues from. And, uh, she suggested not just Afghanistan, because I know everybody is talking about Afghanistan right now. I mean, I talked to myself about Afghanistan, if that tells you anything. Actually, I talked to Raleigh. So yeah, that, that, that's a way of making it seem like I'm not horribly, uh, an island of a man right now. Uh, I don't talk to myself. I just I just talk to my cat about politics and whatever the fuck's bothering me. But uh, her suggestion wasn't just to talk about Afghanistan, but to talk about the equipment we left there. And I know that that's a really big deal to a lot of people. And it is to me as well. But it's more complicated than that. Like everything, right? Just like that whole fucking situation, which I think deserves its own episode from me. So I'll just. And also. um, With a lot of my episodes, I, I put in at the very beginning charities that I think you should donate to. And the number one charity that I've always plugged has always been the Navy Marine Corps Relief Society. And I think having lost not just those 13 Marines in Kabul, but also every service member in Afghanistan or Iraq or Syria or Africa, because we're, we're fighting terror there too. I think that the end of the war is where it really needs to The end of the war to me, at least the ground war in Afghanistan, it's not just the end of a war and it's not just the changing of a society or a country. It's also a ripple effect on the people who fought it. Because a lot of these people are nearing retirement. 
a lot of the people who have fought in it. Or they're damn near close to it. When I was in boot camp, one of my, I guess most people would call them a drill instructor. To us, they're called RDCs. And I remember distinctly, his name is Kaba. And he joined in 2000. So that means he's either at or has surpassed his retirement obligations. If he's still in. Which I believe he is. So for pretty much a whole generation, multiple generations, if you want to think about it, um, they're nearing retirement. And all they've ever known is the war on terror. We've always been in Afghanistan and we've always been involved. That probably has a huge psychological effect, not just on the people who have served during it, but the people who fought in it, the people who have lost limbs from it, who are still serving. Which causes all kinds of issues, which can bleed into other issues that become personal, financial, whatever it is. Which is where the... Navy Marine Corps Relief Society comes into play. So now more than ever, if you got some spare dollars, fucking kick it their way, man. God knows they can use it right now. So let's get started. So the following are times in history that all have relatively the same theme, but different circumstances. The year is 1812, and Napoleon Bonaparte and his army have just crossed the border out of Russia ending a miserable winter retreat from Moscow, having captured the city but unable to hold it due to arsonists setting it ablaze. As Napoleon leaves, he basically leaves behind small arms and cannons piece by piece because his men keep dying on the way out. They keep freezing to death. And with them, you know, they hold their weapons. Or if they're a cannon team, you know, leave their cannon. The Russians recover a lot of this stuff, and like anybody else, you know, they keep it. But the stuff that they don't feel like keeping, or, you know, that they might have a surplus of, they sell to the Prussian army. Who will use these same weapons recovered from Napoleon to crush him at Waterloo in two years' time. In the year 1898, during the Spanish-American War, the Spanish troops leaving the Philippines via the port of Manila 
also ending a, almost half a millennium of colonial control over the cluster of islands. Uh, they leave horses, rifles, pistols, very well-built defensive forts, and a shit ton of cannons. Want to guess where all this stuff is going to be used? By the Philippines. In their fight against the U.S. after the Spanish-American War. In the year 1905, the Japanese Imperial Marines secure Port Arthur, a warm water port that Russia had been trying to lay claim to in what is a modern-day China. And the, this is especially important because this is the first time in history an Asian power has defeated a European power. Russia thought that they could score an easy victory fucking with Japan, and it backfired on them. They didn't anticipate Japan to be ferocious and most of all hungry. This destroys the entire Russian Navy. And it also, in a way, politically sets the stage for the fall of Tsarist Russia. The Japanese, while they're securing Port Arthur, also secure leftover Russian ships that didn't get out in time or were abandoned. They get ammunition magazines and multiple pieces of artillery. Want to guess where all this is going to be used? In the taking of China during the Japanese Sino War. In 1954, in what is today known as Vietnam, but back then was known as French Indochina, the French, having been defeated at uh, Yen Ben Phu, make a withdrawal in complete disgrace, having been defeated wholesale by the forces of Ho Chi Minh. They leave behind small arms, some aircraft, and you guessed it, artillery. All of these will be used in their war with America in less than 10 years' time. 1967, Israeli forces uh, survey and take stock of Egyptian aircraft that they captured within a forward operating air base taken at the end of the Six-Day War, having taken, I'd probably say, five times their original territory. They now use Egyptian defensive positions to act as a buffer zone against future conflicts, which there will be many of. I think the Yom Kippur War was next, which would take place in, if this is 67, 1973. 1979, the newly established country of Zimbabwe takes the reins of all former military assets that remain from the former Rhodesian government at the end of the Bush War. A former guerrilla force 
now finds itself the owner of a full modern military conventional, uh, basically conventional equipment, which is kind of what you're seeing today in Afghanistan. And then a strange one-off, 1993, Task Force Ranger withdraws from the city of Mogadishu in Somalia after a disastrous attempt to capture a high-priority target. This sees the death of 19 U.S. service members and the loss of two Black Hawk helicopters, both of which being too damaged to really be utilized for anything but scrap afterward. And that brings us to 2021. After 20 years of directly involved ground combat and joint air operations between American coalition forces that saw the creation of a democratic government an Afghani Air Force, Army, and Commando Regiment. American forces clumsily and without regard for all parties involved hastily withdraw from the country, leaving small arms weapons, aircraft, fucking artillery, magazines, ordnance, Forward operating bases, plural. Um, multiple varieties of armored and soft shell vehicles. Gotta love some Toyota Helix or Hilux, however the fuck you want to pronounce it. And an airbase in Bagram. Now let me tell you what matters. And let me tell you what doesn't matter. So when you look at it, Vietnam and our withdrawal and Afghanistan and our withdrawal, there are some similarities, but there are also a lot of differences. The similarities being at the end of both, they saw the fall of governments that we helped prop up and supply and equip, both of which had corruption involved, and both of which had people who their heart wasn't really in it if we weren't involved. But both also saw die-hard sections of them. For instance, um, a lot of the South Korean Marine Corps died in the rearguard actions trying to buy time to evacuate people to safer parts of South Vietnam. In Afghanistan, I'd, I'd say probably the majority of the commando regiment um, fought either to the last man or is currently fighting in the 
new northern alliance, I believe, called the Panjshir Resistance. Forgive me if I mispronounce that name. Both saw equipment fall into enemy hands. Equipment that we didn't mean to let fall into their hands, but did nonetheless. Now, letting that equipment fall into their hands in this in, in both cases it's it's like um when a kid gets lunch money from their parent and in this case the parent is these United States and in this case the kid is Vietnam Afghanistan whatever the fuck you want to call them and then the kid goes to school you know the the parents separated from them. The kid's got to go on his own. And then the kid runs into a bully. And the bully is not necessarily bigger, but they are more ruthless. And the kid gets their ass kicked and gets their lunch money taken. And the parent's not there because it's the fucking schoolyard. And the thing is, this is normal. This has occurred with almost every single war that's ever happened. There's always been leftover equipment. And in the case of Vietnam and Afghanistan, a lot of the equipment that we could have brought with us wasn't. And I think that that's more of a logistical issue. Do you spend resources on taking this equipment back? Or do you spend those same resources to get people out? And with how clumsy the Afghan withdrawal has been, I think if you look at a lot of articles from the time period around when we left Vietnam, you'll see the same things being said. You'll see a lot of anger you'll see a lot of confusion as to the process and how we did it. And I'm not defending it. Um, I don't know much about the Vietnam withdrawal. Having not been alive during that time, I can only look back, you know, hindsight is 2020. Um, but what I can attest to is what I'm seeing with my own fucking eyes today with Afghanistan. Um, completely ass backwards. I think we didn't plan for the worst case scenario. And in doing that, we didn't really set up the proper process to get people out safely and efficiently. I think Trump and Biden fucked this up. 
I think Trump set the situation up um, by not including the Afghan government that we created in the negotiations to end the war. I mean, think about it. If, if you were an Afghan National Army soldier and you were, maybe you were getting paid, maybe you're getting paid less than what you were promised, maybe you're not getting paid at all because it's going into some fucking asshole's pocketbook and all of a sudden you hear that, hey, the war might end soon because there's negotiations with America. Oh, that's cool. But nobody in our government's been invited to it. Well, nobody's been invited because they probably don't think that we're a legit government. If you were fighting for a force, I'm, I'm sorry, if you were fighting for a government that other governments didn't respect enough to bring to the table, how long would you fight for that? Would you give your life for that? Or would you work with your peers and your officers to work out a harm reduction model that doesn't get you fucking killed? Where you turn over your district with as little bloodshed as possible in the hopes of some fucking amnesty? put yourself in their position it looks awfully fucking attractive tyranny or death a lot of people would choose tyranny and can you blame them they didn't grow up like we have in america i feel like we take a lot of our values for granted any american would probably die trying to preserve their freedoms and way of life and their values before they would live under tyranny. But if all you've ever known is tyranny, it's a pretty easy decision, I think. But do you think about that? No, you only think about yourself. I'm kidding. I have a real craving for blueberries right now. I don't fucking know why. All right, where was I? Oh, yeah. So, Trump pretty much set the situation up. And it was up to Biden to, once again, apply a harm reduction model. <laughs> because when you inherit things, it's up to you. You're still in the hot seat. It's still up to you to try and figure out a way to make this as painless as possible. There's still going to be some pain, but you need to try and re reduce it. And Biden, it seems, has done everything in his power to fuck it all up. <laughs> somehow he took, somehow he took um, a complete disaster and broke it up, put it in a blender, added water, and made more of a disaster. Um, <laughs> he, he did the equivalent... Sorry, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep doing these 
he did the equivalent of like when you run out of uh what's that joke Chris Rock did where he's like you know why the fuck would you buy more robitussin you know just pour water in there shake it up more robitussin that's what Biden did with this problem he just added water shook it up more more problem <laughs> so we left equipment with the Afghans an entire air force so let's 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 pick that apart here's why i think the air force that we left that fell into taliban hands isn't really going to be a factor we designed that air air force with a specific maintenance program We utilized contractors that were contracted under our government and the Afghan government to essentially have these companies train and send in maintenance workers to work on the helos, so like the helicopters and the uh, regular fixed-wing aircraft. So suffice it to say, there's not a lot of people that were involved um, with the Afghan military that were maintainers because for every hour of flight, there's oh so many hours of maintenance that has to go into that aircraft to keep it fucking flying. And Anybody that has worked in the aviation community in the military will fucking tell you, even on a good day, that shit is high tempo. That shit is hard. Um, now factor in that you don't have a lot of experienced people doing it. And the pipeline for the parts and the expertise is now gone. And the companies who provided those contractors basically hold, hold a monopoly on that. And I don't see them doing a whole lot of fucking business with the Taliban. So where does that leave them? That leaves them with black market parts, which I don't see that really adding up to much for the volume of aircraft that they have. And any maintainers that they did have probably left uh, in the airlift. And those that did stay probably went into obscurity to avoid being used. Or, I don't know, if you have a specialty and you want to, you know, make a good living, maybe they did defect to the Taliban. But the point I'm trying to make here is that the Air Force that they currently have is not something that they can maintain over the long run. A lot of people don't know this, but in the civil war between the Mujahideen Northern Alliance and the Taliban and Al-Qaeda, uh, the Taliban had fucking aircraft back then. They were utilizing helicopters. And I think um, some minor, like, like Cessnas or something like that for reconnaissance. But during 
Operation Anaconda, where we did the initial invasion of Afghanistan, we crushed the Taliban and Al-Qaeda, eliminating their air force and basically driving everybody there underground. Well, a lot of those pilots might, maybe they're alive, but they're not trained in those aircraft and how to use them. You know, they might have the basics down of like moving them, but just because you can move an aircraft from point A to point B and maybe land okay doesn't mean that you're skilled in using that aircraft. Takes years of experience and constant training and expertise to be able to do that. So yeah, worst case scenario, um, they get black market parts and they maintain it for, I can't see them going past three years before they have to consolidate into the easier things to maintain. Um, I believe the Super Tucanos, which are an ground combat, um, air support for ground combat missions. Um, the term escapes me right now. But those uh, seem to have pretty parts from what I understand. Yeah, I don't see it being long before they have to revert back to third or fourth generation hand-me-down aircraft that they were utilizing in the 90s or, you know, trading in those scraps or parts of the current aircraft they have and buying a smaller air, air force that is comprised of things that are easier to maintain and have more... Um, more of a universal piloting ability, so to speak. Also, I think a lot of people don't understand that just because you have equipment... So this goes back to the beginning with all the other instances of equipment falling into enemy hands that I was talking about. If you notice... Um, a lot of the equipment is pretty universal. Cannons, artillery, small arms. But when it gets into things that are more comprehensive, like aircraft, it gets more complicated. And as technology has advanced, so too has the skill set for utilizing equipment. So for something advanced like a Black Hawk helicopter or a Super Tucano or uh, a fucking F-35, you need extremely trained, experienced pilots and technicians and maintainers. And if you don't have them, it's only a matter of time before you fuck up that piece of equipment. 
And more and more, that's applying not just to aircraft, but to other pieces of artillery. Um, I'll give you something from my own personal life. Um, when I was in the service, a big story that came out was uh, China had just finished renovating a Cold War era Russian aircraft carrier that they bought. And everybody was afraid because it was like, oh, look, China has, you know, aircraft carriers now. And I remember feeling the same thing. But then I talked to one of my chiefs about it. And he said, I don't know why the fuck everybody's afraid. They don't even have an air wing. And then it all sort of fell into place in my head. Um, we, as the United States, have essentially ran a fucking monopoly on aircraft carriers since World War II. So almost a hundred fucking years of experience with naval aviation, with aircraft carrier tactics, with naval aviation um, air wings, with pilots who are super experienced with that and have a tradition of being experienced with that, uh, techniques that they've built upon. We've been doing it for almost a hundred years. We have a fucking 11 carriers more. If you count the light carriers and the, uh, the gators, Versus China's one very clearly outdated aircraft carrier that they honestly don't even have an experienced air wing to utilize it with, nor do they have the experience of the pilots. So yeah, they might have an aircraft carrier, but they don't have the wherewithal to really use it effectively against us. So I think as much as it sucks that the Taliban has all of this equipment and these aircraft, now the small arms that they have from us, the M4s, M16s, uh, saws, all the small, all the small arms and the armored vehicles and the soft shell vehicles, yeah, those are losses. They will effectively utilize that equipment, no doubt in my mind. But I consider aircraft to be more dangerous than ground equipment to an extent. Artillery pieces, yeah, that's that's bad news bears. But they can't fly a fucking artillery piece into uh, downtown New York. Not anymore. Did that make sense? I don't think so, but it did in my head. So we're going to run with that. But yeah, the small arms and the ground vehicles are a loss. But the aircraft are what counts. And I don't see them effectively being able to utilize that. Just because they have the means doesn't mean that they have the expertise. So where do we go from here?
we've officially withdrawn. There are some Americans left behind, which I'm not fucking cool with. So it's hard to say. Personally, I think as soon as we get the last American out of there, we should send in a sortie of our own aircraft or drones or what have you and just wipe out all that equipment just in one night just hit them hard and whatever they have left hey fuck it let them have it I think we should have sabotaged the equipment as we left or the at least implored the Afghan government to do that but then again if they were intending on surrendering for amnesty. I mean, if they had sabotaged the vehicles and then tried to get amnesty, it would be pretty fucking hard, right? Why would we spare you for surrendering? You just fucked up all this equipment that we wanted off with his head. So it's getting pretty late. I wanted to get back on the horse with this. But in summation, and uh, I'm sorry if I've been fucking up my words. I think a little bit earlier in the uh, episode, I said South Korean Marine Corps in regards to the Vietnam War, and it definitely should have been the South Vietnamese Marine Corps. So I apologize for that. It's been bothering me the whole time. Uh, So in summation, getting back on track here, fucking equipment is always left behind, but you shouldn't be worried about the equipment being left behind. You should be worried about their ability to service that equipment, maintain it, get parts for it, and you should worry about their ability to properly utilize it. If someone has a gun, but no ability to get bullets for it, and no ability to clean it, how long do they really have an effective gun? This has been History by Hopkins. I'm uh I'm really glad I I did this. I'm really glad I'm I'm back doing this. This episode might be a little disorganized, but um I think it's just copacetic enough to be a good episode. I'm certainly fucking proud of it. And uh yeah, so I'll I'll see you guys in the next one. Thanks for listening. <laughs>